Welcome to Sugar Pills, a practical guide to self-care, where your host, writer, actor, and producer Candy Washington helps you live a more joyful life with a cheeky dash of pop culture news. Be sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and join the conversation on Instagram at Candy Washington. Let's go. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Sugar Pills, a practical guide to self-care. And as always, I'm your host, Candy Washington, and I'm so ex- and I'm so excited to help you lead a more joyful life. So before we dive into today's episode with the multi-talented Rose Catherine Pickney, whether you're listening to this on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you listen to your podcast, or if you're watching us over on our YouTube channel, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and always share this with a friend. So let's dive into today's episode. So I have with me the lovely Rose Catherine Pinkney. She's the Senior Vice President and Head of Development at BET Studios, and she has over 30 years of experience as a television executive, having worked at TV Land, 20th Century Fox, Paramount Pictures, TV One, Cinema Gypsy, and more. She's also been named the Network Journal's 25 Most Influential Black Women in Business, Cable World's Top 50 Women in Cable, and Black Enterprises' Top 50 Entertainment Executives. If you guys can't tell, I am over here fangirling, but I'm going to try and keep it together because we just have just an amazing guest with us today. So thank you so much, Rose Catherine, for joining us. And just to kick off, do you want to just share a little bit about yourself, how you got into TV? I saw that your 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 parents' long marriage sort of solidified what your values were um, as a woman, as a person, as a creative, as an executive. So just want to share your story with us. Sure. I'm happy to. Well, I grew up in Maryland um, in a county called Prince George's County that a lot of people know now because of its wealth. Um, However, that's not the part of PG County that I grew up in. I grew up in a small town called Brandywine, Maryland, a little country town, um, no sidewalks, no street lights. Some people had horses and chickens and gardens. And I had a really wonderful childhood. I probably didn't really know that then because I didn't understand that. I probably, I didn't appreciate it. I couldn't wait to get out of that small town. Um, I went away to college. I went to Princeton and loved it, learned a lot. It's a liberal arts school. So you don't really necessarily learn a skill. Um, You learn how to learn and how to think and how to sort of appreciate the world. But when I was there, I, I, I had always been interested in TV. I loved two things growing up. I loved TV and I loved reading. Um, And I wanted to be involved in TV, but I didn't know how. I totally thought that the the only place I ever saw women in TV, and hey, I have to admit, this was back before we had (laughs) the internet where you could Google it and, you know, there was Instagram. We didn't have all those things showing all the things that happened behind the scenes. So I really thought that as a woman, I could only be an actress or a news anchor. Um, I figured out early on that I was not a very good actress. I don't like public speaking, standing in front of people freaks me out a little bit, um, which is why I'm, I'm enjoying this format. Uh, but I also started thinking, great, I'll try to be a newscaster. You know, I saw many black women, well, not many, but 
a place that I saw black women on TV in front of the camera were, were news anchors. And I mm-hmm. was like, oh, I think I'll try that. And then I learned that many people, when they start out as news anchors, have to go to a small town. And I was like, there is no way I am leaving the small town I grew up in and heading to another small town. So <laughs> I kind of ruled that out. Um, very fortunately, I um, had an internship while I was at Princeton at a, um, a public television station called New Jersey Network. And the great thing about public television is that, well, it's not a great thing. I'll say one of the things is that basically they have to fund themselves. And so they take volunteers, they take anybody that wants to work. And I wanted to intern. So I went there and I got to learn so many things about what goes on behind the scenes. I rolled up my sleeves. People took me places. I went out on calls. I did all sorts of stuff. Also, while I was at college, I um, I worked for... Um, the the radio television the radio station at college and so Ooh. I got a little bit of sense that there's a bunch of stuff that goes on behind the scenes I was really interested in storytelling though mm-hmm. not necessarily news or you know news magazines or or you know news related TV so I kept trying to figure out how to how to turn my life into that and ultimately I figured out that I needed to go to L A um, <laughs> yeah so I graduated right okay, I'm gonna go to L A so I graduated and my parents would not let me just move across the country without a job. And so I realized that I needed to figure out a way to get to LA. Um, what's really funny is I had a bunch of really smart friends at um, Princeton and they were all gonna take the LSATs and become lawyers, but they were all taking these classes. And I was like, I can't afford to take a class to, to take a test to try to get to law school. <laughs> So somebody talked to me about business school, and I thought, okay, I'm good at math. I'm good at that stuff. I'll try it. So I went to the store. I bought myself one of those study books. Mm -hmm. I studied for the GMAT and was able to pass it with flying colors. And then I wrote a really great essay about how I wanted to own a TV station because I thought that the way you get to make television shows is to own a TV station, which is really (laughs) not how it works at all. But that essay and my GMATs got me a scholarship. So I ended up going to UCLA uh, Anderson School of Business um, and had a wonderful two years there. The greatest thing about it is they have an entertainment management program. And what it mostly does, because it's hard to learn the things, the skills that you need in school. But what it did was put me around a bunch of people who also wanted to do the kind of things that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, though I have to admit that when I graduated from business school, um, a bunch of my friends went off to wall street and some people went to Chicago and they all had these great jobs. And, um, I literally didn't have a job. My parents came out for graduation. I didn't want to tell them that I didn't have a job. It was just, it was a mess. Um, they were so proud of me and I'm thinking, yeah. oh my God, I'm about to ruin their lives when I tell them. Yeah, I, I don't have a job. I had been offered a job. Um, mm-hmm. And this is just a lucky thing along the way. And I really don't remember this guy's name. If you hear this and you're out there, I thank you so much. But I had taken um, an opportunity. I had taken a job um, to go and work for a bank in entertainment lending because it was as close as I could get. Right. Um, and there was a, like a July class and a November class. And the guy called me and he said, I know that this is really kind of not what you're trying to do. Um, I'd love to have you in the class, but I don't want you to come and do this if it's really not where your heart is. So we moved me to the November class. So then I had three months to try to figure it out. And I did everything I could to get close to the entertainment business. I PA'd, 
oh my gosh, being a PA who doesn't know anybody and doesn't know anything. I literally saw a sign on a job board at UCLA, like we need PAs. So I went (laughs) for like three days. I was a PA for free. I was treated terribly. But what I saw, by the way, it was a commercial. It wasn't even what I wanted to do. But I just saw more and more that I really liked this area. Like I liked what people were doing. I didn't know the names of the jobs. I didn't know who did what. I didn't know who was who. But I knew that I liked how I felt when I was there. Um, Ultimately, one of the ways that people get into the entertainment business, there are a couple of ways. Um, If you want to do what I do, which is I, I am an executive who works for a network and I've worked for studios and production companies. But you kind of have to work your way up. Um, it's very old school in that way. It's good because you learn some basic things that stay with you as you go up. But I graduated from business school and after I did some, um, (laughs) some PA jobs, um, I also, I, I taught some classes like as a sub, I mean, I did everything I could because I still had to pay my bills. By the way, I had two roommates. Um, all my other business school friends were living (laughs) in these apartments and buying these fabulous cars. And I was living with my two roommates um, and we were <laughs> eking it out. Um, but I lucked into a job reading scripts and doing coverage, um, mm-hmm. which is one of the ways that you can get started. And I also um, worked for a temp agency that would send me out to different places. So one of my first real jobs in the industry, I worked for a, a talent agency called CAA. Um, it was amazing. <laughs> However, um, I was the very unconnected little black girl from the country. Um, I didn't have the right clothes. I didn't have the right connections. I certainly didn't have the right car. My car didn't have air conditioning. I would come to work sweaty every day. It was, I was a mess. Um, But uh, once you kind of get in and people figure out that you're not going anywhere, Right. They, they start to help you. And there are people now that helped me then. Um, my nickname came from an agent. I don't know if he knows it, but he used to call me RC. He was like one of the few people that would say <laughs> hello to me in the mornings. He would say, hello, RC. And that has been my nickname in the industry since then. Aww. And Because we were like, how'd you get that? And I'm like, oh, Michael Rosenfeld called me that <laughs> when I was still a little nobody assistant. And by the way, I was... Um, I was an assistant at CAA and my boss at the time had gone through a couple of assistants. Mm -hmm. And so the temp who was teaching me stayed, she was like, here's the bathroom. Here's the, you're going to know how long ago this was. Here's the copy machine (laughs) where you get popcorn and water. And basically I'm out. So I, I was sort of tossed in. I had never been an assistant before, not a real assistant. I didn't type well, still don't. Um, And, but again, I looked around me and I saw um, people were like talking about shows and their names were in the trades and I would see stars come in and I was actually commenting the other day that I remember when Blair Underwood came in and I was like, oh my my God, Blair (laughs) Underwood. And the assistants around me were just too cool. They're like, calm down, calm down. (laughs) It's just Blair. Um, yeah, I'm like, that's Blair Underwood. Um, and from there, so so getting into the business, yeah. a lot of times you start at the bottom. You start as a PA. You start as an assistant. By the way, so here I am with this big grad school degree. I have my MBA. And people say, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm an assistant. And they're like, oh, okay, do your parents know? And I'm thinking, 
Yeah, I made it sound a little better than that when I was talking to them. I was like, I work at CAA. Yeah. Um, and from there, like a lot of the entertainment business is about making connections and meeting people who decide that you are smart and good and hardworking and they want to help you. Mm -hmm. um, and literally because of, um, and, and this is very much a full circle story. There yeah. was, there there, and by the way, if I'm going on too long, please tell me because I no, no, I want to hear the rest of your story, okay. and then I'll and then I'll dive in. I want to hear the full cool. circle, and then I'll dive in with some okay. Stuff. Yeah. Um. So there was a guy who was actually a, at that time a lawyer, um, at Fox, and mm -hmm. I met. I was at a party, and I met his assistant, and okay. his, and I told somehow I ended up telling her what I wanted to do, and she's like, "Oh, you should talk to my boss," and I'm like, "Okay, whatever," and so I go and I meet him, and he's really great. And he introduces me to some other guys who it turns out are looking for an executive. Um, I know, right? Again, it didn't happen that easily though. Right. So also at the same time, um, it was Fox. Fox had started and totally affirmative action program. That's what it was. It, we don't, it wasn't called diversity and inclusion. <laughs> it wasn't that. And what they were doing was they were looking for MBAs of color to join the company in different places. But everything they had was very much on the business side. And I had found out that that most people did not, if you wanted to be on the creative side and you have an MBA or any sort of business in your background, nobody wanted to talk to me. So I'd mm -hmm. actually taken the MBA off my resume. Uh, but, <laughs> but I put it back on. Put it back on there. <laughs> exactly. Um, and in the end, what I did was convince that program because all of the jobs that they had were in business related things. And I wanted to be on the creative side. I wanted to be with the people who actually make and pick the TV shows, make the TV shows. And so I was able to convince them to take that program. And we went to the guys that had the job opening and we were like, look, we can get this program to pay for her, try her out for a year. And I think for most people, you just got to get in the door. And right. then it's up to you. And I don't mind if somebody has to open the door and help me in or pull somebody in. That's what we all should be doing, reaching out to people that maybe don't have the same opportunities and the same connections mm -hmm. and help them get in. It's up to them to stay there once they get there. We're not talking about main, keep, keeping somebody in who can't do the job or doesn't do the work or doesn't deserve to do it. But a little help in the door, I think, is not a terrible thing. Um, Absolutely. And, and what and what I love so much about your story, and I was just love listening, and I wanted you to continue because I wanted to get the full picture. Um, but what I love so much about it and what resonated with me, and I'm sure the people listening, is that it, it really sounded like the trajectory of a creative. It almost sounded like an actor or a writer or a musician who's like, I went to this school, but then I realized I had another passion. So I had to wait tables until I got my big break. And then I went to this party and I met someone and they told me about their like fabulous person. You know, it's not what you would typically. And that's why I'm so grateful that you're sharing your story, because it's not the typical um, trajectory that you would think of when you think of like television executive development person with an MBA. So I love that you share that because I think that teaches us. There was a couple of things I learned from your story. First, perseverance. Mm -hmm. When you know that there's something that you want to do, you have that fire in your heart for something. It may not be happening the way it looks like for your friends or for everybody else, but don't give up on yourself and persevere through that 
find um, creative ways, whether it's through the temping, whether it was through the uh, MBA program, you know, whether it was through um, just showing up, you know, you just, you kept showing up. So it's through the showing up. So persevere through that. So I love that as well. Um, another thing I took from your story that I think uh, resonates with me and other, other people listening is the power of networking and putting yourself in the right environment. So you went to the MB, you went to the um, to your MBA program, and then that put you in the environment of other people who are doing the business, who are the executives. You went to CAA, that put you in the environment of the decision makers. You know, you were at the networking part uh, party, and then this was the part that I love the most because I really believe in this. You, whether it was intentional or not, you spoke your dream into existence. You had the courage, or you just had the wherewithal, or just the gumption even just to say to someone this is what I want to do and then that person said well I know who you need to talk to in order to do that (laughs) if you had not said that if you had not spoken what you wanted um, like maybe I mean I'm sure you still would have been amazing and great but maybe not but it just shows the power of speak what you want into existence and be confident enough to tell people what it is you want and so I really love that um, about your story. And I, I went to Georgetown, so I totally understand about going to a school where it's just like you learn to love learning. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> and I, that's kind of what it is. And I love like the DMV area. So, yes. so yeah. Georgetown, but, my first choice school. I still have a Georgetown bumper sticker up in my bedroom at my parents' house. <laughs> well, anytime you want to go back to DC, let me know. Let me know. The townhouse I live in is still, I used to live in when I uh, was there, is still there. So well, go Hoyas. Go Hoyas. So go yeah, that's so funny. So yeah, I'm a Hoya. That's so funny. I, I love that. And I also loved what you said about um, breaking barriers and bar- and like the entry barriers. And I think that's a big thing, you know, whether you want to, particularly in the entertainment industry, if you want to be an executive or a writer or producer or director or whatever. And I was reading um, about there's a new program that I believe BT and Viacom are doing it's the equity ownership with like Kenya Barris and Rashawn yes, Jones yeah. um, and Rashawn. And I actually did a producer sessions with Kenya, Kenya Barris a couple of months right. ago. I'm like, please remember me one day. <laughs> <laughs> but then I saw that. So do you want to speak to what that program is about or just, you know, or just in general, you know, ways in which that studios now are kind of opening it up to diverse talent and to diverse stories and creating new barriers of entry that people may not know exist. So uh, a couple of things. First off, I would say to you, so I work for BET and and BET Studios is one part. We have a new streaming uh, platform called BET Plus. Yeah. And I actually work for BET. So I can tell you about studios and we're really excited about it, though I don't actually work for that arm. Right. Yeah. We're all we're all family. Yeah. So one really exciting thing that's been happening in the industry in the last couple of years, and part of it is, I think, just sort of the world kind of reckoning with itself and sort of understanding some of the things that we need to do to be like more unified. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the, the idea of diversity and inclusion has really taken off and whether like there've been little spurts of it along the way. Um, but sometimes people would start a program for a year or they do like a writer's training program for two years or yep. they'd, you know, there'd be a, like, you know, there'd be a program where they tried to hire you know, young people of color into jobs and they do that for like two years and then it sort of go away. And in the past couple of years, there's been such a groundswell toward people really understanding that um, that 
that entertainment should look like the world. And to do that really well, you need to have people that look like the world, people Mm -hmm. of all colors, people of all genders. Um, It's just everyone needs to be included if you're really going to tell the story of the world, whether you're telling a real story or you're doing a reality show or you're telling a narrative story or doing a documentary, but that there are a lot of point of views, lots of points of views, and that we really should have the opportunity to see all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So all over town, people of color, writers of color, actors of color, editors of color, people are getting more jobs. People are paying more attention. People are figuring out, hey, that person is really great at their job. They happen to maybe not be the same color as I am. That doesn't matter. But right. however, in, you know, the idea that, that um, I, I can't, there's a, there's a Greek thing, pluribus something, something, and it's basically like to unified, we're better. E and pluribus so, unum, all yeah, is one. Yeah, that's it. There you yeah. go. Georgetown. Georgetown. Hoya Saxa. And so, I, so we, of course, I work for a company that's Black Entertainment Television. And so we've always looked to hire diverse voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we say diverse voices, for us, it means all Black people are not the same. We're as diverse as the world itself beyond exactly. our skin color. And yes, exactly. there are some cultural things that we think are very much alike, and we like to laugh about them and tease about them. But but we're not the same. And you can't just show one Black family or one Black woman or one Black guy and think you've seen us all. So mm-hmm. we've, always, we've always had a wide variety of voices, generally Black voices. Not always. We've been very open to um, writers who aren't Black, but who have a story to tell that's important. And, and we, we often have to figure out how they can tell it in an authentic way. But... Um, but while everybody else is like, oh, we should make deals with black writers. Like, uh, (laughs) but for for a lot of people, they're like, this is new. This is exciting. Um, But what we did was we took it a step further. And what we said is when we're starting the studio, the studio Mm -hmm. is going to try to sell black content around, around the industry to different networks, but as an incentive and to be really fair these experts that we're bringing in because they are experts on the culture because they are of the culture. Right. We're going to give them a piece of the company to motivate them um, to, and, and to show their value to us and to the process. So that's how our studio is a little different than some of the other studios, because people are not only invested in getting projects on the air that they will make money from, but also as a piece of the company, which is really exciting and a very new thing. No, I, I love that. When I was reading the article, I got like chills. I was like, I have to find a way to like somehow be a part of this because it just sounds amazing. It's real. Um, and I just wanted to pull a couple of the, the gems you dropped uh, during your discussion. So you're correct. Diverse voices are diverse disper- uh, experience. We are not monolithic. Right. We have our own unique journeys, our unique lived experiences, our unique point of views, our unique um take on the way that we receive things and the way we do things and i love that we're now telling diverse stories in a more human humanistic way like we're allowed now black people black women diverse people to have the full spectrum of humanity we're not just aunt jemima we're not just (laughs) 
you know, ghetto baps. We're not just whatever. Bassy. We are sassy, sassy girl on the right. Like, you know what I mean? Like we we're full formed human beings in all the spectrum of humanity. So I, I'm so excited for that. And I love that. I also love that you touched on representation because I agree, like, it's not just performative, like, oh, let's do a show, but we have to make sure we have two black people, one Asian, let's get someone disabled, LGBTQ, right. you know, it's not, you know what I mean? The it's Benetton not, commercial. The like, Benetton commercial, just to check off, we're being diverse. I always believe that representation actually starts at the top. And what we see outward should be a reflection of what's actually going on inward. Like we need the, we need uh, executives like you, you know, who are so intelligent and female and black and just strong and smart. We need more women like you who are behind the scenes. We need more writers who are diverse, more boom people, sound, crew, makeup. I mean, you you know, sometimes you go on a set and I'm like, I'm going to have to do my own hair because they're not going to have a hairdresser who can can do my black hair. You know, we need more hairdressers and makeup artists, you know, that can they match my skin tone. So there's so many things that go into it. I think representation starts actually on the infrastructure on the inside Absolutely. and then that's where the authenticity comes from that they now are the people who kind of are allowed to tell that story if that makes sense and you and when you see it when it doesn't work you get like the pepsi commercials like the kendall jenner and it's just like that just made no sense you get the dub commercials <laughs> where the woman was taking off the different layers of clothes that was different color shades until she got to like herself. And it was just like, what the heck is this supposed to mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it's just, like, a bunch of, you know, non-diverse people trying to way, tell diverse stories. And what's funny is yeah, they're trying. So they're trying so really crazy about it is that they're trying. And so here are the, here are the good people who are trying and even they can so miss the mark. So what are the people that aren't trying, who aren't even aware that they should try? How badly are they missing the mark? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I think um, I think also with like the rise of like uh, social media and everything and like the digital world that we live in and people are now like Issa Rae, you know, she started on YouTube and all of those She's again brilliant, but one of those things that happens, and like I know, um, like Lena Waithe, she has twenties okay. on BET, and then the after show now is going to be done by Love B. Scott, who yep. started on YouTube. Absolutely, um, they are a blogger. They have a podcast. Like I love, I love Love B. Scott, and now and now they're going to do the after show. The so after show, yes. So now you're seeing the convergence of these black content creators who've been, you know, doing, doing podcasts like this and video content. And now it's crossing over to that more mainstream network stuff. So where do you go to find that, that new fresh emerging talent? Like maybe it's the writer who doesn't have an agent or, you know, it's someone who is putting out great content, but they may not have um, entry into the room. So how do those people get, get into the programs like you guys are doing at BET Studios and things like that? So there has never been a better time for people of color who want to get into the business on any side than now. And people who are not taking advantage of it are missing the boat. There are programs, there are workshops, there are seminars, there are contests. All of these things have always existed, but so many of them now are really geared toward people of color. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
it is easy to find. You can go online and put in writing competition and see a variety of things. Most studios and networks, um, if you look on their on the website, you can keep you know looking around and find information on the kind of programs that they have. And not everybody has everything. Some of the bigger companies have everything. They have <laughs> writers programs and directors programs and acting programs and animation program like they have everything and some smaller companies will choose to do one thing or two things to you know make sure that they're not spreading themselves <laughs> too thin but we were making a joke the other day I'm like if you want to get in a program right now and you are not in one then it's because you just didn't get out of bed today yeah um there is a great opportunity right now and there are programs in every city you don't have to leave home to do it then there's so many programs online there are Zooming, this whole thing that COVID that, that, that has made this sort of <laughs> this thing that we never thought of, or thing that we only use for work that we now use every day like it's nothing. Um, so you don't even have to leave home to be able to interact face to face with writers and directors and teachers and people who can help you learn your craft. Um, I do think it's important though that people think about these jobs, particularly the creative ones. That, that it is a craft. Um, and even if you didn't go to college to learn to be an actor, it doesn't mean that you can't take a class. It doesn't mean that you can't try to do whatever you need, to, to do a play wherever someone's doing a play. There are ways you can hone your skills and people should do that. Um, as opposed to just thinking, oh, I'm just going to write a script and send it in and I'm going to sell it. The, yeah. the, the greats, the great actors, the great writers, the great directors part of their being great is they make it look really easy yeah. and they make it look easy because it's innate and they're talented. And some of them have studied. And again, whether it was in school or otherwise, they've prepared themselves for the opportunity. Um, Absolutely. And, oh, good. Yeah. No, so a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm going to be an actor. I'm just going to go. Uh, I'm just going to go audition for something. And you're like, Okay. You got to go to school. So, you got to yeah, work. Do something, right? Again, yeah. not, you know, you could take an acting class from whoever teaches acting in your town. You can, there's so many different ways you can learn something about the craft that you want to do that can help put you ahead of the 2,000 other people that want the same spot. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so true. And, and it's a testament to what you're saying, like for everyone listening, how this interview even came about, I was actually a part of a uh, female entrepreneurship program. And I met <laughs> the beautiful Tasha there. She was my account accountability partner. So oh. we met in a program for um, diverse female entrepreneurs. And so that's how we met. We uh, totally hit it off. We did exactly what we said. She shared what her goals were. I shared what my goals were. And she was like, and then I was like, oh, this is what I've done. This is what I want to do. And she's like, oh, I know who you need to talk to. <laughs> So we had that same exact moment where I did what you did. I was just, I was, I was bold enough to, to speak what I wanted. Yeah. I was, yeah. Yeah. There's and, a way to do it yeah. so that people want to help you. Exactly. Um, I yeah. think in this business, passion is 80% of it. Being passionate, being excited about what you're doing. Even if you're not excited about every project, because I'm an executive, so I work on all <laughs> kinds of things, and I don't 
I don't, I'm not excited about everyone the same, but I always find something to love about a project and that helps buoy me, that helps me stay excited about it and passionate and fight for it. Um, also as an executive, you don't always work on shows. Like I work on shows that I probably would never see. I w if I have free time, I might not choose to watch that show. But it's my job as an executive, as in most executives around town, to try to make the show the best that it can be for the audience that it's for. Mm. Um, when you are a producer or a writer, you have a little bit more say in the kind of projects that you work on. Um, but sometimes you have to work on a project because you're good at what you do and somebody wants to hire you and it's not your favorite project. But at the moment, that's the project that's going to pay your bills and get you through to the project that you can't wait to do. And so, you know, it's the, it's, it's up and down every day and half another part of the battle is enjoying what you do mm -hmm. so that it doesn't become project specific. It is that you like pretty much what you get to do every day. And you're very lucky that somebody pays you to do it. And, and what's the biggest difference between being a TV executive versus being a TV producer? Because some people might not know what that nuanced difference is. Okay. So a TV executive generally works for a corporation or I'll say a company corporation, um, a, a studio or network or even a small production company. And I was talking to one of our production executives yesterday and we, we were laughing because as a TV executive, there are a lot of things that I don't do, can't do, um, shouldn't do because that's not where my talent is. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I can speak to other people who do do those things. So we laugh all the time. I'm not a writer. I don't write. I don't act. <laughs> I don't direct. Um, I'm not an editor. And I don't always, you know, I might have an idea, but I would talk to a writer about it. Right. Yet, as a TV executive, you often work with all those people and give them, we call them notes. But, you know, you, you talk to them and make comments about what it is they're doing in the hopes to make it better. And so it's sort of a funny job that way. It is creative without, without actually creating it, or making it or producing it. But we get to, um, you know, we hear pitches we get to bring the ideas that we like to our bosses and hopefully our company will make them or we'll buy them and make them. Mm -hmm. um, now, a producer, and again, we're separating that from writing producers. Yes. Yeah, so we're separating that from is writing. somebody who will go out and find an idea or find a writer or find a book or find, find an idea that they want to develop and sell. And then they sell that idea to maybe a TV network or a TV studio so it can end up on a TV network or a streaming platform. Or else maybe they find a movie and they go sell the movie to a movie studio. Um, so they're more of an – they can have a company and they're more – and there are big production companies. Yeah. But they have more of an independent spirit. Um, I like to make a joke that uh, I'm a biweekly check girl. So I like all the fun but I really like to get a check every two weeks. So right. stay inside. Um, we're often called suits. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. like oh, here come the come suits. suits. But what's really funny is in inside the corporation, a creative executive is also is often considered a creative. And so mm. like the business guys look at us like, oh, those flighty creatives, right? <laughs> 
And we're like, no, we're half, we're half business, half creative, right? But then we go on set and the, and like a writer or a producer or a director or actor, they're looking at us like we're the, You're the suits. Yes, 100%. Right. So it, I love what I do because it's a perfect melding of both things mm-hmm. um, without having to, to be able to do any of those amazing things that artists do. I love that. It's like we bring you our little creative baby and then you help us rear the baby to be We're the, the doula. Yeah, you're the doula. You're the doula. Cause like yeah. as a creative person, yeah. when I if I if if I like write a script or write something, it's like giving birth. I'm like, this yeah. is a part of me. <laughs> so you guys are like the doula. You help us create these things and then you help us rear that baby or that project or that script or that idea into something that can then be packaged up and enjoyed by everybody else. Yes, that is the really lovely way of saying that. I know some writers who would not say it that way. (laughs) (laughs) They would say they come in, they mess with our stuff, they give us bad notes, they send us. But but I think that um, as long as everybody remembers that we all have the same goal, which is to make a great project, whatever it is, whether it's a TV show, reality show, a movie, a game, whatever it is, that we all want to make a great project that an audience loves, Uh, whether it's for whatever reason, whether it's educational and they like what they learned or it's a doc or it's a reality show and they laughed at how people behave or it's a narrative and they enjoy the story, whether we make them laugh or we make them cry. Like the whole point is to entertain people and however it is they need to be entertained. So exactly. And to that point, I think it's such a good reminder of how important the team is and the chemistry of the team because I know like as a like a creative person sometimes we get so attached to our stuff and we personalize it so much that we can't take in the good feedback and because we take it so personally it's like it's not about you it's just about the work so I think it's good to remind your like yourself as a creative or just as a person that it's always about the work and the team is about the work Absolutely. And to have that trust and that chemistry. And they're giving me these notes because they see something maybe I don't. Right. And to have that grace to say, okay, this is my baby, but I'm going to let the doula do the doula's job. Right. Which can, which can be hard for us creatives. We, we're, a little, and by the way, we're a little sensitive. And by the way, we're not always right. We're not. Um, and, and as an executive, you have to be open, very open to being wrong. But mm-hmm. the hope is that if there is something you're feeling and you're able to express it correctly, that there is something that this writer may take away from what you're saying. Maybe it's not exactly what you said. Maybe it's not on the page where you were having a problem. Maybe your problem really is not on that page. Maybe your mm-hmm. problem is something else. And a really good writer, a good director, a good editor, a good actor will figure out what it is that you're saying and be able to help you not necessarily with wholesale changes. Sometimes it's, it's just a slight thing. Um, I always say to writers when I give notes and, and actually I don't say this to anybody I work with, but when friends or <laughs> stuff, I say, listen, I'm going to give you some notes. I um different from work where I kind of have to say it in a really nice way and be gentle and collaborative. I, I, if I'm reading something for a friend, I'm basically like, look, I'm going to give you these notes. I don't want to argue with you. Great to have a discussion. But the thing is, I don't want to have to sit there with you for an hour. So I'm only saying stuff because I felt that way. Like I'm, I don't have to sit here and make up notes to give you. Exactly. So 
don't fight me, hear me. And then you ultimately will decide it, even as the writers and directors that we work with, we don't make them change anything. Hopefully we have a good enough argument. Hopefully whatever we're saying is right. And if it's Ooh. wrong, sometimes what you'll learn is you'll have a conversation and they realize like, oh, well, I was trying to show you this, but you didn't get that. So now I'm going to go back and make one small change here. So now you totally got the intent that I mm. wanted you to have. And so sometimes it's, um, I have a friend who used to say, if the reader doesn't get it, it's because you didn't write it. Right. Which most writers will not go that far. By the way, this writer would never take notes. So it's actually really funny that he, <laughs> of all people, would say that. <laughs> Um, but, uh, it really is a collaboration. And if you trust the people that you work with, um, it's really helpful. And if you like the people you work with, it's even better because I think people, they behave better. You're more open. Um, and it's all subjective. It is. No, absolutely. And I love that. It's like, is this person confused or did I not write clearly? Right. <laughs> like, you know, like that's like the question. It's like, it's like, it, are they confused or did I not cl clearly enough write what, what is going on? So that's a great gut check for, yeah. a, a, for a writer. You know, am I too in it? You know, am I like missing the forest from the trees? Because yes. it's like, if you're talking to yourself, of course you understand it. Absolutely. But does, the, but does the other person actually understand it? So it's like really to have that gut check with your, with your work that I love. And I was watching, like listening to you talk, which reminds me, I was watching, um, Taraji P. Henson and uh, Christian Connolly of her new company, like TPH Entertainment, they were doing like a, a conversation with, with Tribeca Film Festival and Chanel. It was like a conversation with her. It's like a female executive um, program that they were doing. And she was talking about the different stories that they want to tell with her company when they go pitch other you know, networks and things like that. And one of the things that she wants to do is really tell stories that normalize uh, stigmas in storytelling. Mm -hmm. right. So what, what are the type of stories that BET really wants to tell? Cause you, you have told amazing stories like girlfriends and, and being there. And I know like for me, like being Mary Jane just completely changed my life watching that show. Um, uh, and other shows like that and like anything, but like Mara Brock Akeel and just amazing. Ah, just, I'm going to give bumps because when you talk about representation matters, this is exactly what it means. Being able to turn on a TV or read an, an article in The Hollywood Reporter and, and see someone who I'm like, wow, I want to be like her one day. Um, so it really matters. But what are the stories that BET wants to tell now? It's so funny because we, um, we as more and more people in the industry understand the value and the importance of all stories, um, as black stories become more important and as more companies buy more black stories and buy more, you know, make deals with writers of color, um, we fight harder. And so we have to be a cut above. And what we like to say is when we, when you watch one of our shows, we want people of color to know we made that show for them. Um, we are so happy that anybody else wants to come and watch our shows and learn our culture <laughs> and come to understand who we are and what we love and how we live. And that is wonderful. But watching one of our shows, there should be hints along the way. And they won't be hints. There'll be things that people naturally wrote because they are from the culture. And 100%. we might not even notice it because we're from the culture and it just is what it is. 
Mm-hmm. But but the hope is that when people turn to BET, they feel the authenticity, they see the relatability, they see, again, like you said, we're not a monolith, they see somebody in one of our shows that looks like them or reminds them of their auntie or their <laughs> son or their best friend from high school that they don't talk to anymore because now they're too ratchet, whatever it is, <laughs> like we, <laughs> we want them to, to feel at home. Um, to see a mirror and and to know that somebody said you are important enough for me to make a show that's just for you. Yes. And, and if nobody else comes and watch, that'll be fine because we really want you to like it. But hopefully, I, I feel that shows that are really pure in, in showing a world draw people because I think that other people that aren't from that world can feel how special it is. A hundred percent. I also, I was going to say a hundred percent because I think uh, what came up for me when you were talking was when I watched those shows, what it says to me is that I matter. I matter. I matter. And I think that's really the essence of what it is because when you watch the majority of other like networks and shows and stuff, when you're just seeing somebody else's story, somebody else's face, somebody else's point of view and that's what's on the big screen or the small screen, then you think, well, that's what's important. That's right. what, that's what's right. That's the standard. You yeah. know, that's what I should, you know, strive to be like. But then when you see someone who looks like you or someone who has that same journey as you, you think, wow, well, then I matter too. Yeah. I, was, um, I was in Target of all places the other day and I happened what? to go through the toy area and I saw so many black dolls I was so excited. I I don't have any young little girls in my life. I wish I did because I would have come out of Target with a zillion black dolls. There were Barbies and doctors and like all kinds of baby. I I couldn't believe it. All kinds of hair textures and skin tones, by the way, mixed in. So so I wasn't in. Um, I wasn't in a Target in a predominantly black neighborhood where we've seen more of that. More of that. Yeah. In the old West Hollywood Target. And I literally, it made me smile because I felt like I mattered. And I felt like all the little black girls I know mattered. And I wish that there was someone that I could have taken one of those dolls (laughs) home to. Because I didn't have those when I was growing up. Yeah, there'd be one or two and our parents would go and look and, but, Mm -hmm. um, but, and that's the same thing on TV. By the way, a lot of television is free. So it's a place where for free people should mm-hmm. be able to look and see people like themselves. And then once we start paying for it, of course we want to see people like ourselves, whether we're paying for cable or streaming. We we do matter and we are here. And so it's exciting to watch more and more people figure that out. Um, but I hope that we still stay ahead of the pack by finding an authenticity. Um, we, we always say that we have a shorthand with our writers and with our directors and our producers, like there's some things we don't have to argue about right. um, because I, I make a joke. It's not at VT. It's not, well, what kind of braids? No, it's not. Can she have braids in her hair? At BT is what kind of braids will she have? Bantu braids, individuals, like what, the what are we braids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not to make it such a base and simplistic thing, but it is sort of, um, it, it is just a place, even working at the company where our conversations about whatever's on the news, we might have 20 different viewpoints, just like the rest of the world, just like the Democrats and the Republicans and the Reds and the Blues. 
different points of view, but there's still like a cultural um, foundation that we all have that decides even how we would start, what the argument would be about might be different because we're mm -hmm. a group of black executives. Um, yes. No, I, I agree with exactly what you're saying. And I was thinking when you said that, it reminded me that there's like this clip that I saw. It was like a Denzel Washington. And I believe he was talking about, I want to say maybe Fences. I think Viola Davis was there as well. And there was a, a reporter and she had asked him like asinine question. Like, well, why did, why did the director have to be black? Couldn't it be a white director? And he made this really great point. And he said, well, I forget the director, I should know these director's names, but he was like, well, the director for Scarface was this person and that person was Italian. The, you know, uh, the, the person who directed Schindler's List, he was Jewish, you know, and he was like, it's not about race. It's not about color. It's about culture. And you have to be, have that lived experience of what it means to be black in the world, but in America in particular. In order to really bring that authenticity, in order to really have the authority to tell that story. And Absolutely. so that's what I love about you and like everything that you guys are doing at BET is that you guys have the the true authority to tell these stories. We really we want to. And by the way, yeah. you know, I I I would be remiss not to mention that we do have projects that are not that are written by writers that aren't black. However, what we do is they we put somebody who knows the culture with them, whether that's having them co-write with a black writer, whether it's putting them with producers we feel can help them mm -hmm. with the culture and the world. And it's kind of a given, like if you don't want to do that, then already your arrogance is telling us that you're not who we should be working with, even if we love your story, because we know that when the rubber meets the road and there's some aspect of this that you're not getting right, and it's not your fault, you didn't live this experience yeah, and you're going to argue with us, th then that's going to be a problem. So, yeah. it's, so we do <laughs> sometimes have writers of other colors and on our staffs, but for the main, for the most part, they are people of color. And if not, they are surrounded by people who I, I used the words one day with um, some producers because I was kind of gently trying to tell them that they needed to find some black people to be involved in their project in some place. <laughs> and I called it a warm blanket of color. I was like, well, I think you really need to find a warm blanket of color. And my colleague teased me about it forever. She's like, oh, Rose Catherine, a warm blanket, warm blanket of, of color. And I said, I was you. She goes, I know what you were doing. You said that as gently as possible. Um, mm -hmm. And ultimately, I don't think those people got it. And we didn't do the project. <laughs> Well, that's why they didn't. I was going to say, weren't maybe, I should, maybe, I should, maybe I should have just been a little bit more direct with them. Um, please, you're going to have to add some people, some black people who know the culture to your project if you want to sell that here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like literally read the room. Right. <laughs> I, sometimes when I'm being really rude, I'll say, uh, have you thought about the title of our network? It's Black Entertainment Television. Black entertainment <laughs> television, laughing. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a great place to be in this time because when people are really appreciating the full the full scope of who we are as yes. a people, it's really great. It is great, and it feels so and, and empowering. I, I was talking to someone, and they're asking about like what it felt like during like Black Lives Matter for the last two years and all of this stuff. And I said it was twofold. I was like, one, I never felt more gutted 
as a black woman in this country. But at the same time, I also never felt more proud. proud. Like, I, I never felt like what the blessing it was to live this life as a black woman. I've never felt more proud to be who I am. And so I think that's what BET does. It gives us a place to be proud of who we are I, and to celebrate black joy and black excellence. I, that I, is what I love about it. Like when I, I watch um, black girls rock and I like cry, like oh, <laughs> don't understand how much your programming has influenced me. Like I, I watched black girls rock and I was just like, okay, I got this black girl magic. Okay. You can do it. Like, Yeah. It's shows that speak directly to you. I yes. get it. And by the way, somebody else could come in and, and take something from it, which is great. But you know that these shows are speaking to you. They're speaking your language mm-hmm. directly, shouting in your ear. This is for you. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy this. And it's, yeah. like we, and it's like we see you. Like in a world where sometimes we are not seen, I think it really just says we see you and you matter. And we're here to tell your story. And, we and were, that uh, is what is so great. We were talking today about a project where um, the husband, um, uh, I was saying a lot of our shows have very strong Black women at the center. And mm-hmm. some of those women are married. And because there's shows and there's limited time and the main story is usually about the women, the husbands often get short shrift. And we try to cast them very good looking and strong and nice and they're good dads and they're good men. But we, we are always careful to make sure, to try to make sure that we give them, you know, a, a full rendering, that they're not just like the husband on the side. Um, yeah. Because it becomes very easy to run with this one thing. And we also kind of have a responsibility, even when we, even though we're not educational TV. And yes, we have shows that have all kinds of people. So we have crime shows. There's murder and violence and drugs and all sorts of stuff because people like to watch shows about that. Um, but we also want to do shows about lawyers and doctors and social workers and detectives and, and moms who stay yeah. home because they can and all just the full scope. And so again, most, many of our shows have women leads, but we want to do the same thing for the guys as well. We want to make sure that you see the full scope of men that are black in America. You know where I think you guys do that beautifully? And I'm not just saying this because my friend is in it. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. but on uh, BET Plus, First Wives Club. Yeah. Yeah. My friend is Mark Tolman. So he oh, plays the senator. Yeah. We st- when I used to live in New York, we actually studied together. Oh. Um, yeah. So Mark Tolman, I love him. He's that's a- great. He is a fantastic individual. And I love watching the show. But I think that's what exactly what you said. I think you guys do it so beautifully where the women are. Yes, they are the heroines and they are all very like unique and different. And they come together with this friendship. But the men, they also have their unique point of views, their own wants, their needs, their objectives. And they're humanized. They're not just you know, one type of man and it's just right. like this and, da, 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 and my crazy wife. But no, like it's again, you see all the different um, facets of us and that we're not right. monolithic. And some of the men, you know, I, I forget his name, but he's married to the doctor, but he has such like a sensitive soul and he's oh, like, vulnerable right. and he's and he wants right. to be a writer. And like, yeah, and he's like, oh, I got to write for my friend for this like Ebony or Essence article. It's like really yes. funny. Well, 
I can't wait for you to see this season. Yeah, of the show I'm so excited. It's currently literally being written. I wish yeah. I, I, my computer is sitting on top of a first wife script. I was going to hold it up and show it to you. Um, but I was going to say yeah. it is really exciting to watch, to read scripts about people that are like people I know. Mm -hmm. um, a really great thing on that show this year is that uh, Ron Rico Lee, who plays Gary, that's Bree's husband. Yes. Actor you've seen in a lot of things. He um, has wanted to direct. And so he went off and started shadowing. I think he took some classes. He made a short film. And this year, not only will he star in the show, he's also going to get to direct an episode. And so we're really excited it. about that. Um, again, it's about craft. Like he went and readied himself. He spent mm -hmm. a lot of time on set, but he also went, he shadowed other directors. And yes, he kind of has an in because he sees the executives every day. <laughs> Um, but there's a lot of people who do that, and we don't get to take a chance on them directing something. So, uh, again, we we try to be supportive to people in all the different ways that we can so people can realize their full selves. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. I've, I have enjoyed myself, and my cup is full, and I know everyone listening Good. has gotten some gems. So is there any last parting words or advice or guidance or just anything that you want to um, leave us leave us with? Yeah, I think that I would say to people, um, just never forget who you are. And this is a business where you can easily forget who you are and what's important and move that aside for a title or money or stardom, whatever it is you want. Um, but I think the most successful people, the people that remain successful year after year after year, they're really true to who they are and they keep their same values that they had when they arrived and they stick to them and they don't let the world change them. And I'm not going to say that they're perfectly fine all the time and they don't slip <laughs> up or sometimes take a job for all the wrong reasons and then figure it out later. But if you can remember who you are, who you were before you got to Hollywood um, and, and make sure that they're still alive inside you no matter what happens. And that's on the good days and the celebratory days and the really bad days. Yeah. I think it it will do wonders for you. Oh. Thank you so much, Rose Catherine. I've I've enjoyed this. And I know everyone listening is probably as inspired right now as I okay. am. Yes. And everyone in the show notes or in the description box, I will link to everything BET and everything more that's fantastic. about uh, Rose Catherine. You guys can follow them. Get all like get your BET Plus subscription. I'm subscribed. Absolutely. Watch First Wives Club. You'll be laughing and crying yep. and everything in between. Watch. <laughs> And watch uh, Games People Play, which starts next week. Yes. So we got two new shows. Well, two returning shows back on Linear. 20s just started. Games People Play next week. But we've got some really great stuff coming out on BET+. Plus. We've got all the Tyler Perry stuff on Linear yes. and on BET+. Plus. We've got something for everyone, which is kind of our goal. So please check us out. Yes. Thank Somewhere. You. <laughs> yes, check us out somewhere. Thank you so much, Rose Catherine. Thank you, Candy. It's great to meet you. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. Okay, bye. Bye. Welcome to Sugar Pills, a practical guide to self-care, where your host, writer, actor, and producer, Candy Washington, helps you live a more joyful life with a cheeky dash of pop culture news. Be sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and join the conversation on Instagram at Candy Washington. Let's go.